In just a few minutes, we're going to sing <clears throat> one of the most popular, in fact, the most popular and most published Christmas carol in America since the early part of the 19th century. Strangely enough, it's not really even about Christmas. Uh, at least not the way we think uh, about Christmas. Not only does it not mention the birth of Christ, it also doesn't mention the town of Bethlehem. It doesn't mention the shepherds watching over their flocks by night. It doesn't mention the wise men coming from afar. It doesn't mention anything about a manger or about Joseph or, or Mary. It doesn't even mention the name Jesus directly. But it's clearly all about some aspect of Christ, the Christ who is to come. In fact, the author of the hymn didn't originally intend it to be used at Christmas time, but strangely it has come to us in, in that manner here in America. But for many decades, the hymn had lost favor within the church altogether. Almost 50 years, very few churches sung this hymn at all. But then someone had put a tune to it that was a little bit more rousing, and we're suckers for a good tune. So we started singing it, and now we sing it all the time, and now it's the most popular Christmas carol ever uh, in America, as I said. Every church, every, uh, even every mall uh, probably still sings this song or plays this song in one manner or another. And I'd say even though it's not written particularly for Christmas, it's still very appropriate to, to be used during Christmas because as we meditate upon Christ's first coming, his, his first advent, if you will, it's meant to point us to the second coming, to the fulfillment of all that he came for. So what he began uh, when he was born as a baby, he's coming back to complete uh, that purpose uh, that he started over 2,000 years ago and even before in the mind of God. But the, the lyrics to the hymn, and the hymn is Joy to the World, if uh, you didn't already figure that part out, originally come from a psalm. They come from the latter part of Psalm 98, uh, which I'm going to read to you now. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's just nine verses. It goes like this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The reason we have these words before us today that we'll sing, uh, Joy to the World, came about as, as a result of a young man who was very bored with the uh, church music that he was hearing on a regular basis. Isaac Watts, if you know him at all, a very famous hymn writer now, was once a young man in a church that only sang psalms. And the version of the psalms that they sang were all slow metrical versions of these psalms. So it sounded like every song was sort of a dirge, like it was very mournful. And, and he really wanted to have more joy as he sang the songs. And in addition to that, most of the songs, well, pretty much all of them, because they're psalms, before the time that Christ is born, before the time that Christ comes, can only speak of Christ in shadows, couldn't speak of him directly. So when you were singing songs, you couldn't sing about Christ directly. Uh, 
And so he wanted to change that. He wanted to uh, come up with something that you could talk about Christ in the songs themselves. Uh, probably most of you didn't know that one time most churches only sang psalms, didn't sing hymns at all. In fact, it was a big controversy. Churches were splitting over the fact that people were singing hymns in their churches. But originally, um, when he had written this first uh, interpretation, if you will, of Psalm 98, according to the New Testament, interpreting it in light of the Christ who is to come, again, there were two songs. He had one version for the first few verses that no one sings today. And then there's the second part of the hymn that we all sing now, and again, only 50-so years after he had written it that it finally came into to vogue, if you will. But the original, the original occasion for the psalm uh, has something to do with a great victory that has occurred in the, in the nation of Israel, right? And we think that that victory has something to do with the return from, the, from Babylon, of the exiles returning out of their captivity there. So originally, but it's, it's, it's reminiscing, if you will, of what happened when God brought Israel out of Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea, brought them to Mount Sinai, and then brought them into a land of their own. Now it's doing the same thing, but with the exiles coming out of Babylon. And it's giving great rejoicing over this fact that God has delivered them out of their captivity. God has brought them out of their slavery. God has brought them back home, if you will. But it's, it's, a, it's a marvelous song of salvation showing that God has done it all by himself. God didn't raise up armies. He didn't raise up chariots and horses. Instead, he saves them without even raising an army at all. He simply changes the heart of the king. And as a result, the king writes an edict and allows all of his people to go home and then pays for them to rebuild the temple. What greater work of God could happen than that? And that's exactly what happens. But, but the, the way this psalm is written, even though it's really meant to originally refer to that particular moment in time, the way it's written is that, oh, sing to the Lord a new song any time he does these great and marvelous works. And so the author, Isaac Watts, of our hymn, Joy to the World, is, is, is using that exhortation. We're going to sing a new song unto God because of this great and marvelous work, not just of bringing Israel out of captivity, but now bringing us out of captivity, uh, bringing us out of our sin and our death and tyranny to the devil. Again, all those things that we were enslaved to and in fear of, God has brought us out of that and has saved us in such a mighty way. So God sends His Son to earth. We know that He's born of a virgin, born of the Virgin Mary, to live this perfect, righteous life that's required by God to enter into the kingdom of heaven in order to give us hope who have all lost the right to eat from the tree of life because we didn't live the perfect, righteous life that God requires in order to get into heaven. So in other words, Jesus comes to earth to become a substitute. If you've never heard this term before, it's a glorious word that, that's used to describe what Christ does in the gospel. Why does he come as a baby? He comes as a baby in order to live the whole range of human life, to live the life that we didn't, right? He saves us in this way, two ways. One, he takes all of the sin that you've ever committed, and as he grows up and, and becomes the man that he is and suffers on the cross, every sin that you've ever committed, if you trust in Christ, is placed upon Christ, on, on the cross upon Christ. And he pays the punishment for your sin. But at the same time, again, going back to the life from the baby all the way to the adulthood, if you will, at the same time, all of the righteous works that Christ has done his entire life are then placed upon you 
who believe in Christ so that when God looks at you, if you trust in Christ, He doesn't see your sin. He sees a perfect, righteous person. A person who is worthy of going to heaven. And so the glory of the gospel, the reason why we sing of salvation at the time of the birth of Christ is because finally the one who has a right to enter into the kingdom of heaven, he has come and he has opened the gates of paradise for us as well. All we have to do is trust in his name. What a glorious truth that is. What good news that is, that it's not dependent upon you. You will never be good enough to get in heaven. No matter what you do the rest of your life, all it takes is one sin to kick you out of paradise. Remember, Adam and Eve, what was the horrible sin that they committed? They ate a piece of fruit. But because God is so holy, no sinner can abide in his presence by committing even one sin. And so the Lord Jesus Christ comes as a baby to live the life, the sinless life that you and I couldn't, in order to grant us access back into heaven, back into paradise, to have the right to eat from the tree of life again. But that's just the first part of the, the good news of the song. Christ has come as Savior for his people. But then secondly, also Psalm 98, and the writer of this hymn, uh, Joy to the World, also points out that he also comes as a king to the nations. He doesn't just come to save us from our sins. He comes to take his rightful place as king over all the world. And so we see that as he commands Israel to rejoice in their Savior, he also commands all the nations of the world to rejoice in God as the king. Again, this is a, a very important truth. Jesus didn't come just to be your Savior. He came to be your Lord. He came to be your prince. He came to be your king, the one who rules over you in righteousness. I don't know about you, uh, but we don't have kings anymore in this land. We have presidents and we have all sorts of other leaders. Uh, raise your hand if you want to trust in them. Raise your hand if you think they're all righteous. Raise your hand if you think that they're going to protect you and keep you and provide for you. Raise your hand if you think that they're your Savior. They're not. Christ is the King. Christ is your Savior. Christ is the one who we owe our allegiance unto. But more important than that, it's not just presidents and kings and, and men who can be wicked in many different ways. But what Christ has come to do is He's come to cast out the imposter, the one who calls Himself the Prince of this world, the one who calls himself the prince of the power of the air. Jesus, when he comes, not only is he healing people and he's giving them the gospel, but you'll notice he's also casting out demons left and right to prove his authority over the one that has enslaved you to fear all the days of your life. Because you know that you're a sinner. You know that the wages of your sin is death. You know that death deserves hell for all eternity. Christ has come to cast out the imposter, to remove you from his tyranny, to remove you from the slavery of to fear and death and hell, and to give you peace, to give you someone who is going to reign over you in righteousness, one that you can trust, the one that will be consistent and faithful in his love and his justice all the days of his life, and he will live forever. But then that's just the second part. The third part, and this is the part that we sing a lot in, in the hymn, Joy to the World, is he first tells Israel to rejoice in their Savior, then he tells all the nations of the world to rejoice in their King, and then lastly he says, for all of the inhabitants of creation, but particularly creation itself, in other words, all of nature, to rejoice in the judge who is coming to judge the world in righteousness. And, and literally, in, in Psalm 98, he's pointing out, he's commanding the sea to roar. 
He's commanding the rivers to clap their hands. He's commanding the trees in the hills to sing for joy. Why? Well, we notice that the author of the hymn also says, Oh, heaven and what? Nature sing. Oh, heaven and nature sing. We keep hearing that. We keep saying that. Uh, While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, the psalmist is commanding all of earth to give joy unto Christ because he's coming in judgment. Now, that seems like a weird thing to rejoice about. Christ is coming to judge the world. Why would he say that? Well, if you remember, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, if you remember when Adam and Eve ate that piece of fruit, it didn't just affect them. It affects all the earth. In fact, the earth is cursed because of Adam's sin. We see that all of the earth is in suffering, in expectation, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Romans 8, 19-22, the Apostle Paul says this, The creation waits with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed in order that creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption. So we see that even when Jesus is, is, is dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, He's also bearing this crown of thorns. He's bearing the curse. Not only that you and I deserve, but also bearing the curse that has come upon the earth because of our sins. And we see over and over again throughout Scripture, the earth is crying out. It, it, it wants to be relieved of this vanity, of this frustration, of this subjection to futility because of us, because of what we're doing. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read in the last number of years of people who are saying something like, well, there's too many people in the world. <laughs> Only takes one person to ruin it. It's already ruined. And every, every man or woman who writes, well, we've got to get rid of all the people in the world, everybody else is like, well, you first. You go first. But what the earth is saying, you all need to go. Because you all are sinners. You've all subjected this to frustration. And that's why the earth is commanded to sing along with us in joy that Christ is coming to judge the world, to set straight all that's crooked, to purify all that's stained, to remove all the wicked men from the earth, and to finally reveal the sons of God who have trusted in Christ and not in themselves. Those who are now called the holy ones, the saints of God, who are now living for the righteousness of Christ. The earth itself is exhorted to praise God that this one is finally coming to judge. So we sing in the hymn, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Why? Because he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Pay attention to the words that you sing. Great news is being shared with us as we sing these words. Of course, it's not just the earth that's called to do this. All the inhabitants of the earth are also called to praise God in this way. Again, it would make sense for the the faithful, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to do that, but you wouldn't think the wicked would want to do that at all. And that would make sense because they're afraid of His judgment. They're afraid of Him shining His spotlight upon their sins and their transgressions. The idea of a judge coming to judge my sins doesn't sound very appealing uh, to someone who doesn't want to repent of their sins. And so the book of Revelation, we're told that many uh, in this camp, that when Jesus actually comes back to earth, it says that they will seek to hide themselves from him, just as Adam and Eve hid themselves in the Garden of Eden. Remember after they were caught in sin? 
But in this case, it says, and they will call to the mountains and the rocks of the earth. They're calling to nature, to creation, to come and fall upon them. Why? So that they don't have to see the face of him who's seated on his throne. They don't have to see the wrath of him, of the Lamb of God, who's coming to judge the world because of sin. But not for those who have trusted in Christ. It's a different picture altogether. For those who have trusted in the name of Jesus, there's no fear at all of Christ's return because Christ has paid it all for us. We can rest. We can enjoy that peace even though knowing that we're not as righteous as we would want to be. The Lord has already paid the punishment for us. He's not coming to condemn us. He's coming to save us from ourselves. He's coming to save us from this horrible world in which we live. We all feel it. We all know it. There's something wrong with the place in which we live. It's under a curse. God is coming to bring us into a better place, a place where there, there no longer are thorns and curses that infest the ground. This exhortation is given both to nature as well as to the, to the inhabitants of the earth that we would sing that Christ would finally come and restore it to what it once was. It reminds me of a, a praise chorus that I used to sing back in the 90s. That's a long time ago now. It's called Ain't No Rock. You know this one? Literally says, ain't no rock going to cry in my place as long as I'm alive to glorify his holy name. Ain't no tree going to lift its branches for I'm going to lift my hands to glorify his holy name. Ain't no bird going to sing in my place as long as I'm alive to glorify his holy name. Over and over again. You don't let nature take your place. Don't let them take your voice. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are to join together with nature, giving praise to God that finally the judge is coming to earth to restore it all. Satan doesn't win. The curse is removed. Christ comes back to reign in righteousness to save his people from all of this muck and mire that we're in, to restore us to a right relationship with him. That's why we sing. That's why Christmas is good news. That's why we celebrate this holiday. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand the gospel message. We pray that you would help us to understand why Christmas is celebrated, what it points us to, not just the first coming of Christ, but the second coming as well. We pray, Father, that just as the gospel was meant to go out to all the nations of the world and all authority in heaven and on earth have been given unto Christ to preach this same message, Lord, we pray that as we've heard it tonight, we would believe in his name alone for salvation, we pray in Christ.